Amen. You may have a seat. Is everybody doing okay today? Wow. I'm excited to preach today, I guess. You guys are ready to hear the God's, God's word today. But, uh, so uh, we have started a new sermon series. We're walking through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, last week, if uh, you were not here, I sort of introduced and out- outlined the entire Gospel. And, uh, and so today, we're jumping from uh, Luke chapter 1 to actually Luke chapter 3 uh, today. Uh, we, we, we covered the rest of Luke, Luke 1 and Luke 2 during the season of Christmas uh, if, if, if you're not here last week, let me just sort of bring everybody up to speed. Uh, Luke was a physician. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul uh, during his uh, ministry. And uh, Luke said, hey, listen, there, I, I want to write, I, I, I write a gospel. And we talked about last week, there's, there's one gospel. There's four different Accounts of that. Uh, there's a, the gospel, one gospel, but a gospel according to Matthew, and gospel according to Mark, and a gospel according to John, and a gospel according to Luke. And Luke is the, it's the longest of the gospels because Luke is coming from the scientific mind and this investigative mindset of that, of that he himself investigated and researched uh, the truths of Jesus. And he had this, this friend named Theophilus, and he wanted to encourage them. In their faith, he wanted their faith in Jesus to be strengthened because we know that life comes about. There are things that we are not prepared for. And when those things happen or, or the enemy's at play and all we hear is the word if, all of a sudden we begin to doubt and question, is Jesus really strong enough? Will Jesus really restore me? Will Jesus really heal me? Will Jesus, is Jesus really the son of God? And so he, so he put this gospel together to, to encourage his friend to, to, to actually provide strength to his faith. And that's our prayer over the season as we're walking through this gospel, is that, is that it would strengthen us. If you are someone like, I, I don't really know about Jesus, this is a wonderful gospel. I want you to come to know and discover the beauty of who Jesus is. There's an axiom. It goes like this. Uh, uh, failing to prepare is what? Preparing to fail. Failing to prepare is preparing to actually fail. That's a leadership axiom. That's a truism in our life. I remember when I was in Houston and pastor for single adults and our church had bought this strip center. In that strip center, there was a liquor store and there was a Chinese restaurant. There was a Dairy Queen. Uh, there was a pool hall. There was a kite store. That's weird, isn't it? There was a Staples. And then there was this empty space. They said, hey, Brian, we want you to uh, 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 put a, a coffee shop. A coffee shop? In the strip center, next to the liquor store, across from the pool hall, right next to the pizza place. Yeah. Okay. And we want it to be a music venue. Oh, okay, great. It means I'll be, be there by myself every Friday and Saturday night. Well, okay, that's great. So we, I had about 12 folks, and we, we went about this, and we, and we, and we created this this coffee shop, it, was, it looked pretty bad, uh, but it was a coffee shop and there was a music venue. And, and we had our first, we had our opening night, and uh, I think we could probably 
allow maybe like 120, but the fire marshal wasn't there. So we had over 150 people uh, there, and uh, our coffee shop part was not up and running, so we catered Starbucks. The Starbucks came in, and they, they were making all these frappuccinos and everything, and, the, and, and we brought in this act from Nashville, and, and he gets up to start playing, and all of a sudden, all the power goes out. Boom. Because of the frappuccino machines. <laughs> and then the AC, this is Houston, all the AC's out. I got 150 people trapped in this room, and so so we go across, so we go down to Staples, we buy every bottle of water they have, and, and people are taking off clothes. I mean, they're like, they're stripping down to like, I was like, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and, uh, and somebody, a wise person, came up to me and said, well, did you check the, the power? Oh, no, we didn't, we were just trying to get it done. Did you, did you, you know, and... and and we, we have moments like that where, where uh, we, we thought we had the plan, but we didn't check all the boxes. I remember I was doing a wedding this past summer, and uh, it was this beautiful place. It's, it's, it's in Knoxville. A lot of folks are getting married there, and it was a gorgeous, gorgeous day. But there was this one little cloud up in the air, and it was a, it was a, and I looked at that cloud, I was like, no. Nah, it's not going to rain. The, the wedding will last about 30, 35 minutes, and then we'll go in the reception. It's not, it's not a big deal. And, and so as we're about to start the wedding, this cloud got bigger and bigger and starts moving over us, and, and the wind starts picking up. And, and then uh, I'm like, wow, I, I think we're going to have a storm. So I look at the wedding planner and say, hey, uh, should I move people in? She's like, no, no, we plan. We're going to go. I was like, Okay. And so we start, we start the wedding, right? We're going in. All of a sudden, it just unleashes rain. It is, I mean, everything else is sunny except right here over us. And it is pouring down rain. And I don't know if you know Sterling Hinton. He, he, he played, played football for, for UT. He has a little DJ business. And he goes, Pastor, 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 we, we got to go inside. And I, I'm moving it. And there's a picture of me at the wedding going ah, like this. And everybody is just pouring down rain. And we all go inside, and then I become the MC. Like, and they, and they, they tell me, hey, don't tell people to go to the bar yet because we have to finish the wedding. Okay. This is great. And I'm thinking about this, this family, this couple, they've invested all this money, and they prepared for this day, right? This day, but no one planned for what? A cloud. A cloud. God was, was wise in that he, he had a preparation plan. And his most unique plan. And his plan involved a person. That for 400 years, God was silent from the at the end of the book of Malachi until now, God was silent and people began to wonder, has God forgotten us? Has God forgotten about us? It's, we haven't heard any word from him. We, we haven't had any prophets. And, and, and where is God? Has God abandoned us? Has God forsaken us? Have you had a moment like that? I have. I can't hear you. Well, how come you're speaking to other people and you can't speak to me? I can't hear what you are saying. 
And then we, then we read about a man named Zechariah who, who was a, a priest, and he goes in to, to, to this altar, of, almost to the Holy of Holies. And there, as he is making this, this act of worship, an angel appears to him. And says, Zechariah, I know that you and your wife Elizabeth are well beyond childbearing years, but you are going to have a son. And his name is going to be John. And Zechariah is like, what? And he becomes mute for nine months. And he, Elizabeth bears a child and and John is born, and they asked Zachariah what we should, what should we name this son? And he says, you should name him John. And Luke tells us that then John grew in stature. And he grew in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he lived in the wilderness. That's the end of chapter 1. Chapter 3, Luke tells us about the ministry of John as an adult. And his ministry is a ministry of preparation. It's a ministry of the prophets. It's a ministry of speaking directly to our hearts and, and our, our political leaders and our religious leaders and to a culture and to a context and, and to waken people up to get people ready for Jesus. I remember when my mom said, when I was in college, hey, honey, I'm in town. I'd like to come by and see you. I got panicked. Because I hadn't cleaned the bathroom in a while. The kitchen was a mess. The place wasn't vacuumed. I had laundry all over my roommate was drunk. I said, sure. I look forward to you coming over. What do you think I did in the next 15 minutes? Boy, I cleaned the tub. I cleaned the bathroom. I got everything ready. Why? Because my mom was coming. She's four foot eight Sicilian Italian. And that's one thing. I have to bow down to her and worship her. That she raised a good son. In some sense, that's what John's ministry is all about. He's trying to waken us up to, to welcome God's gift of salvation, God's gift of restoration in Jesus. And how Luke presented here in his gospel is that he starts off and he names seven individuals. And none of them are walking with God. They are political leaders. And a couple are religious leaders who end up crucifying Jesus. One of the religious leaders, we know him by the name of Pontius Pilate. He's the one who orders the crucifixion of Jesus. Annas and Caiaphas are the religious leaders who actually order and, and, and run this mock trial to crucify Jesus. But what Luke does this is that if you're, whenever you're writing a historical narrative, you mark time by the leaders, by those who, who, are, who, are, govern, who, who are governing and leading the nation and the church at that time. 
And so we're going to read this, and there are a lot of names in here, but what Luke is doing is trying to pinpoint the year. He's trying to tell us that the ministry of John happened in this time. It actually happened, and there's historical research. It's, it's accurate. It's precise. And, and we know it's somewhere around 28 to 29 AD. And we think about the month of August is, is when it started. And after he does this and he tells us about John, he reminds us that John comes from a lineage of priests and that John's living in the wilderness in the desert. We'll sort of get to that later. And the word of God comes upon him. And the Greek word there, it's not like it's not the very word of Scripture. The, the, the way the Greek reads there, it's, it's rhema, which means that, that God has a conversation, that God audibly talks to John in the desert. And after that, what, what, what Luke will do is he says, the ministry of John is actually a fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah in the 40th chapter. That, that what John, his ministry is actually a fulfillment of what God said 700 years ago. So keep this in mind, that when Luke is writing this, there's 400 years that no one has heard from God. And they haven't seen a prophet. 700 years, what he says is, is that God made a promise that he would bring a prophet that would have this ministry of preparing God, God's people to receive God's king. And so he inserts the prophecy of Isaiah. Then afterwards, John tells us about his ministry. And how he's going to prepare people's hearts. Then people have some questions about it. Then people think, oh, well, maybe John's the Messiah. Maybe he is the Christ. Maybe he's the one to come to restore us. And John says, whoa, no, there's one greater than me. And at the very end, when John challenged the political leaders of that day, he ends up in prison. It all happens in 20 verses in Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch, that means governor of Galilee, what happened was when Herod the Great passed away, there were different regions, his children took over different areas of, the, of, his, of his kingdom. Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Itur. Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius was Tetrarch of Abilene, which is not in Texas. <laughs> During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's very interesting. We'll get back to that in a second. John went to all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough way smooth. And all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's a nice welcome. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So they say, then, well, what should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should, should share with the one who has none. And, any, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to. He told them. Then some soldiers asked John, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. And be content with your pay. Oh, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if, if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with, with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, I love that. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. I like what Luke says here. And with many other words, John exhorted the, the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, that's a whole other documentary, and all the other evil things that Herod had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Our friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Oh, gracious God, as we walk through this passage from the Gospel of Luke, I pray, God, that, that you would speak to us. I pray through the ministry of the Holy Spirit right now. Your Holy Spirit will come and have its way. I stand here only because you have forgiven me. Because your grace is more beautiful than my sin. I pray, Lord, that if you want to use me right now, if there is something that you want to say through me, I avail my life, I, I yield my life, my desires, my, I lay it 
my life before you and ask that I would be an instrument for you. There's a word that you want to say to us. You, we can hear you. You spoke to John that you're someone who's wanting to speak to us. And maybe some of us are in the wilderness today or in the desert. And we believe that desert and wilderness is stronger than your word. Will you break through right now? Allow for us to hear what you have to say. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. As I was flying this, this past week, I was wondering, what if we had a TSA here at the church? You know what TSA is? I guess not. Okay, so... Uh, when you go to the airport, when you go to the airport, you have to go through security, right? And you have this person who has this prophetic voice. If you have any laptops, please take the laptops out. Uh, please take off your belts. Please make sure everything is in a nice, clear container so I can see it. Oh, Brian, oh, no, he says, I, I always get caught doing something. But... Uh, but then you put everything out, you, you basically strip down to something, and, and so your belongings go through this x-ray machine, and then you personally go through this x, x-ray machine, and you hold yourself like this, and they scan it, and I'm hoping that I don't have to go to the pat-down. And then they go, okay, good. Then I have to figure out some way to get all my clothes back on in front of everybody. What a glorious experience. But we do the all what for safety. Right? I wonder what that would be like if we had one here at the church. When you came in the worship, we had a TSA, and they would say, Hey, uh, hey, I want you to take out all your sins and, and all those things, all, the, all those broken relationships, all the people that you, that you hurt, and, the, and your greed, and your, and your gluttony, and your consumerism, and your political views. Put them all here, and we're going to examine them all, and they want you to sit here. And then afterwards, we'll let you come in. Who would want to go with that? Not me. Not me. But what John is saying to the people, are you ready for Jesus? He's coming. He is going to come. He is actually here. He has been born. He is coming. His kingdom is coming. He's going to, he's, you think Herod's powerful? He's going to destroy Herod. You think Pontius Pilate's powerful? He's destroyed him. You think Annas and Caiaphas and the religious leaders and their structures and system are powerful? He's going to turn them all upside down. But you are not ready. Now I'm screaming. I see you asleep. <laughs> Are you ready for Jesus? What if he came in right now? What would Jesus do? Would you be ready for him? Is your heart ready? Is your joy ready? Is your mind ready? I mean, John had this great ministry, a prophetic ministry of, prep, of preparing people. We do it. The ministry of preparation is all over our city. Nurses and techs prepare us for, for surgery. We have accountants hopefully getting us ready for tax season. 
We have doctors who have no idea what strain of flu we have, but they help us with a flu shot. We have people who are actually preparing us. We have educators who are hopefully preparing our students, hopefully my son, to pass the ACT. We have all these folks who are in the ministry of preparation. Are you prepared? How can we get prepared for Jesus? It was God's plan all along to raise up this man named John. But John was not in the establishment. John was not in the religious system. He was not in the political system. John was in the wilderness. And there's a group of people who actually lived in the wilderness. And many of them went out there. They're called the Essenes. Many of them went out there because they knew that the structure of religion and the structure of the political nature of Israel and Judea and all those areas, it was broken. They saw the brokenness in their leaders and they, they said the only way for us to get close to God is that we have to get out. We have to separate ourselves. We have to get out of Jerusalem and we got to go into the wilderness. So that's where John lived. And we know what he ate. He ate locusts and he, and he ate wild honey. And we know that he had this beard that went all the way down here and, and he had all these muscles. I don't know what he looked like, but he, he, had, this, he had this jacket and this camel hair and all this stuff. But that John was outside of the system. I think that's an important word. He asked me the question, do I have people around me who only tell me what I want to hear? Or do I have people around me that I've invited in to speak, to think, speak things to me that I need to hear? It's a question, what's on the other side of me? Do I, do I surround myself only with people who think the same way, who look the same with me? I think it's beautiful that God brought a word from heaven to earth. The, the word did not come from earth up to heaven. But God brought a word from heaven to earth. And so he speaks to John. The word of God comes to John. And then Luke reminds us of the political failures and the evil and the corruption. And it's, midst, it's in the midst of these dark days that the word of God comes. It hasn't come for over 400 years, but it comes, and it comes to a man living in the desert. It doesn't come to the religious leaders. It doesn't come to Jerusalem. It comes to a man, descendant of a priestly lineage, living in the desert, and it comes to him, and God speaks to him. Have called you up to be my prophet of preparation. I'm going to ask you to go and call the people to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And your life is actually a fulfillment of what I said 700 years ago when I told the prophet Isaiah that there is going to be someone who's going to come to prepare the way for the Lord. Luke knew that any time a king, a political king or a religious leader 
was walking down the road and was coming into the city, there were people ahead of them preparing the way. Some of them were picking up trash. Some of them were, hey, get out of the way. They're probably filling them potholes. I wish you did that in Knoxville. Filling up potholes. Everybody was getting ready. The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. That was John's role. And his word was this. Repent. Repent. The word repent means change of mind. The word repent means change of course. The word repent means change of behavior. The word repent means to turn away and then to walk toward something. That the only way the only source of hope and the only source of life and the only source of healing was not through your political leaders or your religious leaders. It was through preparing your heart and your life for the King, the Son of God. You know, I think about this passage. It, it tells me that every system is broken. Every person is broken. And we needed someone from outside of us to come and to heal us. When we're confronted with our brokenness, when our brokenness has punched someone in the stomach, our our natural reaction is not repentance. We blame. We justify. Or we resign. We blame. Hey, hey, it's not my fault. That's your fault. That's your issue. That's not my issue. Or we justify. Hey, you know what? That's just the way I am. My mom did it, my dad did it, my uncle did it, and that's, that's the way I am. And so that's, that's just, I have great, great foundation for my behavior. Or we say, resign, well, that's just the way things are always going to be. You just got to accept it. That's not Biblical. We, we talked about how we want everyone at grace in God's word. I'm not sure if you are, are participating in our soap Bible reading, but this past week, the prophet Jeremiah, he was dealing with this. And in Jeremiah 18 and in chapter 19, the word of the Lord came to, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and, and Jeremiah's ministry. This is what he said. Jeremiah said, hey, I want you guys to turn from your evil ways. Each one of you. I want you, and he used the word, I want you to reform your ways and your actions. But guess what the people said? Ah, it's no use. We're not going to do that. 
Because we're going to continue, it says in verse 11, we're going to continue with our own plans. And each one of us is going to follow the stubbornness of our hearts. Yeah, we have heard what you're saying, God, but we'd rather stick with our plans because our plans are better, and we'd rather stick with our pride and our self-righteousness and our own stubbornness rather than have this encounter with you and rather being with you and aligning ourselves with you. We rather, we're okay with who we are. And we like the way things are. I like the way the marriage is. I like the way my kids are. I like the way our country is. I like the way our church is. I'm okay. I'm okay that people are living and they don't know Jesus. That's fine with me. I don't really care. That's what they're saying here. And you know what God says? I'm going to show them my back, not my face. Literally, what, what God is saying is that I am here. I'm right here. Just repent and, and, and come to me, and then you will be healed and you'll be restored. But instead, they're saying, no, in our stubbornness, we'd rather sit and rest. And actually, we want our stubbornness more than you. And what does God say? Okay, that's cool. I'm going to turn my back on you. I gave you opportunity to see my face. I gave you an opportunity to look at me. And the spirit of Isaiah and the spirit of, of Jeremiah, we have John. And rather than blame and rather than justify and rather than resign, there is a way to life and that is repentance. That... Reformation starts with repentance. Renewal begins with repentance. Healing begins with repentance. Someone says that when we adopt the posture of repentance, when we adopt the act of repentance, when we adopt the position of repentance, then anything and everything can change. Oh, I wish I had Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump right here. I wish I had the two of them together and said, well, if you both are followers of Jesus Christ or you claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, I'm getting all emotional about this. What if you lead with repentance? What an arrogance. Pride. I've just offended everyone because you're letting your... Your political views dictate your theology. Rather than the theology lead into politics. You want to see God move in our church? You want to see God move in your life? You want to see God move in our city? You want to see God move in our nation? Repentance releases fresh possibilities. You want to see the face of God? You want to see God work? Repentance. Repentance means me coming to the end of my humanness. Coming to embrace that I am broken. I am limited. 
It's, it's an act of humility. How else can we receive the king? I believe that we need to repent. Repent from worshiping our kids. I know I do. Other vision for our life we see is more beautiful and grand than the vision that Jesus has for us. When you repent of that. When you repent of our busyness. It's okay, we have time to, to check Instagram and, and Twitter and time to stop by Starbucks, but we're so consumed that we have no margin, that, that we haven't created space, that that was the role of the wilderness, to go to the wilderness to find space to hear from God. We repent from the idea that we like the concept of being with God, but we really don't want to be with God. We really just want to be with ourselves. We need to repent. How we see our money and our time and our gifting. When the people came up to John and says, now what, what should we do? It's easy. You have two tunics. You need to give one away. Generosity is a fruit of repentance. Repent of our own stubbornness. Always having to be right, the right place, and be in the right mind and the right position and trying to self justify ourselves. We need to repent of our own comfort. We love comfort. And comfort is good, but it can come and take us away from God. When you repent that we're okay, that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Even though God is calling us, we're okay to say, that's ah, for somebody else. Someone younger. Someone with more experience. I'm okay that our youth aren't being discipled. That's what we pay Andrew to do. I'm okay with that. We need to repent of the past, of the hurt, those who've hurt us, those who've harmed us, those people that we cannot forget, those situations that we can't control. We've got to repent of the regret that we have. I know I do. We have to repent that we've actually saved we're walking with Jesus, but we really don't know who Jesus is. We have to repent that we'd rather see UT football win a national championship than Jesus appear in Knoxville. I think it's amen with that. Okay. Sometimes I would. I'd rather see that stadium packed and everyone tells me the city is electric. Repent that I really don't have a sense of urgency that I'm okay. 
Repent that I'd rather live a life of faith through someone else than having to have a personal relationship with Jesus myself. Repent that I'm okay, I'm not growing, that I still have anger and resentment. To turn away from, to repent of our racial and generational and gender divide that we have in the church, in our city, in our nation. Repent of wanting to be satisfied actually with things of this world rather than the one who is the savior of the world. And repentance is not to make us guilty. Repentance is for us to acknowledge how we have strayed and to quicken my heart to go to the one who is able to save. Oh, how that is the good news. That I don't have to sit in all this stuff, but that God has come and has brought a Savior who went to the cross and he died on our behalf. And there is life given to us. If we would just turn from ourselves and turn toward him and prepare our lives and Prepare our homes, prepare our families, prepare our church and our city. Oh, there is something greater and something more beautiful. And it's Jesus. John says, there is someone coming who is greater than me that I am not even able to untie their sandals. But he is coming with a baptism of the Spirit and a fire. And I've come to get you ready. Take the change of mind and change of heart and change behavior. Repentance is different than saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Repentance means turning away and turning toward Jesus. It's an act of my mind and my behavior and my actions. You want to see God work in your life? You want to know God? You want to see God work in this church? You want to see God work in this city? You want to see God work in this nation? So we humble ourselves. Repent. And run to Jesus. Just join me in prayer. Lord, you said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and will pray and will seek my face and will turn from their wicked and evil ways, then will I hear from heaven 
forgive them their sins, and heal their land. God, you're asking us to do something that seems so impossible. Letting go of our brokenness, letting go of our control, letting go of our pride and our self-righteousness that we, that we hold and we're, it's gripping us. And you're asking us to let go of that so we can receive Jesus. What is it in our lives that we need to turn away from? Is it lust? Boredom? Apathy? Greed? Consumerism? Power? Self-justification? Anger. What is it that right now you're asking us to, to release to you? To turn away. If we are going to receive Jesus if, as a church, if we are going to be, do whatever it takes, that we're willing to relinquish everything that we have our finances and our lives and our, this building and our vision to release everything to you, Jesus. You say only when we do that will we hear from heaven and you will heal our land. What is it, Lord, for us to see more of you? What is it holding on to that we see that seems greater than you, that seems more beautiful than you, that we're willing to throw money at and time at and, and think about and contemplate and just soak in versus going to you who is the Lord and Savior, who is the rescuer, the restorer, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is willing to come and heal our marriages and our families and our cities and our churches. That you're waiting for that to happen if we would just turn our face and see you. Oh God. We confess our sin. And we are sorry for what we have done, how we've taken these gifts that you have given to us and we've hid them. How we looked at ourselves not as a child, a son or daughter of the king, but how we've abused our bodies. And Lord, we turn to you and we say, we want you. We want everything that you have. And we see you coming to us. Like that father taking off his robe and putting the robe on his son, his wayward son. And then we see the sandals and, and then the, the ring, and then you, the father, throwing this celebration. I had to celebrate. I had to throw a party because my son who was lost is back. 
I see that saying, my church that was lost is back. My nation that was lost is back. My family that was lost, my, my son and daughter that was lost is back. And I had to celebrate. And that is what you are wanting to do. You are wanting to rejoice when we turn to you. Your love moves us. And so, Lord, call us to a new life with you. And we walk in that new life with Jesus. And thank you. We have others around us who will encourage us to do the same. Let's call this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray by, by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Rise the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. 